This morning we're going to be reading from Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And if you're using your um, Pew Bible, it's on page 1026. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by two means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. On this third Sunday, we light the first two purple candles and the rose candle as we remember the proclamations made in the days before the birth of Christ. As we light this candle, we remind ourselves of the joy we experience on hearing the good news of our Savior. We'll sing verse 3 in the chorus of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel together. Sorry about that. 
We come to pray for one another as a congregation. There are many things we can celebrate and praise the Lord during this time of season. God has come and he will come again. God's grace and mercy. We want to pray for people that are uh, going through a hard time. I know Ashley and Jarrett, they had a tough week uh, this last week with her chemotherapy. We want to pray for Julie Christensen and Peggy Ridgeway. We want to pray for a family relative of Lois uh, Dowdy, who is going through a Hodgkin's lymphoma. And then this morning I was watching the news. Uh, a church in Nigeria, 160 uh, brothers and sisters in Christ died as the church collapsed. And then in Egypt, uh, 25 Christians were killed. Uh, you know, this is a time of year where we maybe celebrate a lot of things, but then throughout the world there's a lot of bad things happening. We want to lift up uh, the church. So let's go into a time of prayer. Holy Father, we thank you and praise you that you have indeed come. And because you've come, we have great hope. And Lord, you will come again. And we look forward to the great promise that will be fulfilled. We thank you for your grace and mercy that, that is given to any and all who put their hope and trust in Christ. Lord, we pray for people for whom this season, uh, they're going through tough times. We pray for Ashley and Jarrett and her battle with breast cancer. Pray that she would have good days and that the chemotherapy would bring healing to her body. For Julie Christensen and Peggy Ridgeway, who have had uh, medical treatment this week, we pray for healing and recovery. And Lord, we think of brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world, those Christians in Nigeria, in Egypt, that lost their lives. We thank you for their testimony of faith in you. And we pray for families that are lo losing, a lo have lost a loved one, who, are, who are, are grieving, and yet give them hope and celebration in the faith that they had in you. Lord, we do pray for our country that we would seek you again. We pray for the Christmas season that people would see Christ and come to know Christ as a result. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Help us to understand how we can apply that to our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as you know, I'm uh, going through this series called Christmas Through the Eyes Of. So today we're doing Christmas Through the Eyes of a Wise Man. Well, my name is Melchior, and I love the quiet call of the night, especially the stars. The stars have always had a mysterious pull on me. I've always looked at the stars to see what they could teach me. In fact, it's the stars that made me first believe in God. As the psalmist wrote, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no voice in which they are not heard. The stars reveal to us God, but they also reveal to us God's promises. As the patriarch Abraham was told in Genesis 15, 5, Look to the heavens and number the stars. If you can number them, so shall your offspring be. There are some answers that only God knows. 
but it was those desire for those answers that drove me. And I'll never forget the night in which I received one of those answers. In fact, the most important answer, along with my fellow stargazers, Gaspar and Balthazar. It was a beautiful night, a peaceful night, a night so wonderful that you could almost feel the hand of God and hear his gentle whisper. Of the thousand plus nights of studying the stars, this night was so different. It awakened my soul to something. It was, it was a divine appointment, something that I really cannot explain. But, but as I looked to the stars, I thought of the prophecy that is found in Numbers 24-7 that says, A star shall rise in Judah, and a scepter shall also rise in Israel. I wondered, could this be the Messiah's star? I didn't have to say anything to Gaspar or Balthazar. We all felt the same thing. We all felt an incredible draw to the star. We knew that we had to follow it. It was our destiny. It was our purpose. That joy inside of us was uncontainable as it seemed to hang over that small town of Bethlehem like a beacon drawing us in, like a moth to a flame. It was a star that was so brilliant, so effervescent. It was supernatural. We had to go. And without haste, we gathered our stuff and made our trip. As we were on our journey, we conversed, theorized, and debated as to where this star might be taking us. At the end of all of our conversations, we all concluded the same thing. This star had to be taking us to the Messiah, the King of the Jews. For we had never in all of our life witnessed so awesome and so great of a star. Surely this star was leading us to the fulfillment of God's promises. And as we arrived in Bethlehem, we immediately sought out an audience with Herod, the king. He was not at all what we had expected from a political leader. He was insecure, out of sorts, and do I dare say on the verge of paranoid? We asked, where's the one born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. That was not at all what King Herod had wanted to hear. He was upset. At best, I would say, he had a controlled temper tantrum. As he called the chief priests and scribes, he asked them, Can you tell me more? He demanded that they would tell him more. As the prophet Micah said, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least of the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler. There will be a shepherd to my people Israel. His rage became a cold, calculated, and determined response. He tried to hide his anger from me. He tried to speak with authority. He said, go and diligently seek out that child. And when you have found him, send for me so that I too may come 
and worship him. I was leery of his response, but my desire to know so much of what that star held for me made me do as he said. And so we left and continued to follow that star as it led us, and it led us to a stable where a child laid. But not just any child. A child that was the hope of Israel. A child that was the hope of all people. We were filled with joy. And we all, all of us, fell at his feet and his mother's feet. And we began to worship him. We worshiped him as if he was God himself. We wanted to give him something. We had brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we laid them down before him. But that did not even seem like enough. He was worthy of more than these things. He was worthy of our lives, my life. After all the years of looking to the stars, I finally had found my answer. It wasn't in the stars. It was what the stars pointed to. The stars had pointed to the feet of pure, holy innocence. Surely this was the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet he was a mere child. That night in a dream, I was warned that we should not go back to Herod and tell him where the child lay. And so we went home a different way, but as different men, because we had seen the face of God and we had lived. In fact, we were more alive than we had ever been in our life. Surely this was our destiny, our eternal destiny. Well, I'm going to look a little bit more at the wise men now. You know, of all of the individuals in the Christmas story, probably the wise men are the most mysterious. There's part of them that we simply don't understand. Maybe it's because I personally cannot relate to them. I mean, they were rich, they were wise, and they were from the East. Those, things of, those three things of which none of them are me. Uh, the wise men are mysterious for a variety of reasons. Who were these men? What was their place and purpose in the world? We know so very little about them. All we really know is what is summarized by that phrase, they came wise men from the east. That's all. That's all we really can know from Scripture. We really don't know their names, although legend has given them the names uh, Melchior, Gaspar, and Balthazar. We don't even really know if there were three. Some have estimated there were up to 12, but we have kind of summarized or surmised that there were three because of the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, scholars have uh, debated and argued, uh, but were they kings? No, they probably were not kings, although that's what the song, We Three Kings of Orient, are. The Old Testament book Daniel refers to wise men from a priestly group from the east Associate it with the Medes. Uh, they may be the best, we, that might be the best we can conclude about them. The third empire mentioned in Daniel was the Medio uh, Persian Empire. It was a conglomerate empire made of the Persians and Medes. 
The Medes were a large group of powerful people. In fact, there are many people in history who trace the origin of the Medes all the way back to Abraham, who was called out of Ur to the Chaldees, uh, way back to chapter 12 of Genesis. So they are very ancient, long-lived people that were called wise men. And by the way, uh, the word wise men in verse 2, it says, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king beheld them, beheld, there came magi, which is actually from the Greek word that means magos, magoi, or as we know as magi. It is really untranslatable. Scholars don't even know what the word means, so we have come to adapt the word wise man. The Magi, at best, is a priestly line, a priestly tribe of people that were skilled in astrology or astronomy, and that was, uh, this was a very great preoccupation with them. They would look and study the stars, uh, the interest in the stars. Uh, it almost was on the verge of the occult, in a way. They had some sort of divination uh, process by which they could look to the stars and determine truth. Uh, they were involved in certain kinds of things that uh, we would assume perhaps were like sorcery. And that's why the word magi was corrupted throughout history into the word magic or magician, which is also syn a synonym for sorcerer. That's about all we can really know about uh, the wise men, the magi, uh, that we can glean from history. But I want to look at three points that I'd like to make for you this morning. Uh, three points, and I, again, like every week, there are vastly more points that we could make about them than the three that I've selected. The three are, where are you, where, I'm stumbling here, where are, your, where are you seeking answers today? Two, worship is more than Sundays. And three, meeting Jesus changes us, or it should change us. So where are you seeking answers today? We are born, I believe, wanting answers. In many ways, that is what causes us to grow. When a baby is born, as a, it wants to become more than just a baby. It seeks answers so that it can become an infant that becomes a child, that becomes an adolescent, that becomes an adult. Wanting answers is ultimately a good thing. We want to know why, what, where, who. We want to know life's most important answers. Like what is my purpose and what is the meaning of life? Wise men were at best, as we know from history, looking for answers in the heavens, the stars, the planets, and other astrological events. In particular case, because they sought there, they found Jesus. Today I was wondering, you know, where do people look for answers today? And, you know, the list is actually quite long. And then I wanted to kind of narrow that down. I said, where do people in North America look for answers? And I came up with a conclusion. I think most people in North America look for answers in mammon. They look for answers in material wealth and possessions. 
To make it even more simple, I'll say, we look for answers in money. If we had just more money, we would be happy, content, and life would be everything that we wished it was for. The truth is, is that people with the most money are often the most lonely, unhappy, and unsatisfied. At least they're equal to us in many ways. Although most people would say something like, well, I sure like to try to have a lot of money and see if that would make me more happy. In fact, people in the pursuit of money have spent a lot of money. Just look at the lottery. Do you know how much money people spend on the lottery every year? Well, I had to find the answer. So I, I studied and looked, and I found out that people spend $70 billion on the lottery every year. Now, to help us get a grasp of what that means, people spent more money playing the lottery last year than on books, video games, and tickets for movies and sporting events combined. This is why the Bible warns us in 1 Timothy 6.10. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money cannot replace what God has to offer us. And yet I would say that in North America, where we look for answers more than anything, is money. Now, there is a longer list of things that people look for uh, to find the meaning of life. Uh, that list can contain everything from relationships, careers, science, politicians, sex, our favorite sports team. You name it, the list is long for the place where people seek answers. If we look to anything other than God, though, I believe we will not find the ultimate answer that we're looking for, the meaning and purpose of life. The second is worship is more than Sundays. Last Sunday, I had the privilege of going to Little Fork to the Ludifisk feed. Some of you were there. And I had the chance to talk to the pastor at the church there. And, and we talked about pastor things as pastors talk, you know. And he, he asked the question, are you going to have church on Christmas Day? And I said, well, yeah, we are. And he said, well, we've decided not to have church on Christmas Day this year. Because the last time we did it, seven years ago, only four people showed up. And I thought, you know, in a worldly way, that makes sense. Only four people show up, why have church? But then I thought about it. Christmas along with Easter, is really the Super Bowl of the church. And you know, there are a lot of people that don't even like football all year round, but they watch the Super Bowl. And I thought about this. Do we have it all backwards? I mean, you know, we, we get upset saying that, you know, we no longer can even say Merry Christmas but we don't even go and celebrate what is the birth of Christ anymore as a church. Why? Because, you know, and I don't mean to say this in a, in a judgmental or legalistic way. But, you know, we get to worship Jesus. We get to celebrate his birth. 
This is something that we should be so thankful for, and yet all the other things have gotten in the way. And so when I'm saying that this, I'm not saying you have to come to church on Christmas. Think of it more like you get to. It's a privilege to celebrate the one who came to earth to live, to be God with us so as he could come to save us, to redeem us. And, and I, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm kind of boggled that, you know, that the approach of the church today would be that let's, let's just cancel it. And, and, you know, I don't care if just four of you show up. We're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. I know more of you will because if we can't take one hour out of our holiday busy season to celebrate the reason for the season, there's something messed up with, with the church. Uh, and, and the truth of the matter is, is worship is more than just this one hour on Sunday, isn't it? It's vastly more. And the wise men left in pursuit, and then they found Jesus, and they had to worship him. And they gave him their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and we're thinking, oh, isn't that an awesome gift that they gave Jesus? And in fact, that those gifts are what really actually helped Mary and Joseph in their flight to Egypt to survive, to escape. They were, they were gifts that were needed. But worship has to be more than just our offering. Worship has to be more than just the songs we sing. Worship has to be more than just a reading of Scripture, lighting of candles, and a sermon. Worship ultimately needs to become what defines us as human beings. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says it this way, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Worship should be what we are as Christians, as followers of Christ. It's what we do because of what Christ has done for us. Colossians 3.17 says it this way, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, in the drama, that little drama that I presented, I talked about the wise men and that, that the gold, frankincense, and the myrrh was not enough. He was worthy of far more things. He was worthy of our lives. And I think that's really what this is all about is that worship is about our lives making Christ first. And not just about one hour on Sunday or during special holidays. The third point is meeting Jesus changes us, or at least it should. You know, the thing that I am amazed at is, is how often I have experienced people who have said, yeah, I've prayed the prayer. I prayed the prayer back a long time ago, but the rest of life, they just went on. And life has not really changed for them. They still are pursuing everything else 
without really making Christ the single most important thing of their life. And as a church, you know, we celebrate every time someone prays the prayer, comes to know Christ, we celebrate that, and we, we decide, you know, we're going to put a new daisy. These are daisies, right? <laughs> I know stuff about the Bible, but not about flowers. Okay, uh, we, we put a, a daisy in the vase, and we get all thankful and we praise the Lord for that and this year you know so far up until last week we had nine and then a a person from our congregation actually came up to me and said you know last week I had a family member that I prayed with for them to receive Christ so we add another one now we have ten and I think wow isn't that wonderful isn't that great isn't that what we are all about isn't that what Christmas is all about so that people will come to saving faith in Christ so that their lives are changed because they now believe in Jesus? You know, did you know that over 50% of the churches in America will not see one person come to know Christ within a year? That's a tragedy, don't you think? I mean, Jesus gave the parable of leaving the 99 in pursuit of the lost one. And I, I think of, you know, family members, friends, and many of us have some family members or friends, and I talked a little bit about this last night, that, that have either never come to know Christ or have drifted away from Christ. And I think the holiday season is the most important time of the year for us to, to pray that they would come to know Christ. And I don't know, you know, I never take granted that everyone that comes to church already knows Jesus. It's just too important. It's, It's the most important message that God loves us. That God gave his son as a gift to us so that and so probably four or five times a year I I give what is called an altar call. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to give an altar call. But we do it or we've been doing it a little differently this, this year, as I learned from another church, instead of embarrassing that person or making them stand up or saying, you need to come forward, we simply have everyone bow their heads, close their eyes, and we explain the gospel. A, we admit that we're a sinner. B, we believe God loved us and sent a son. And C, we choose Jesus Christ to be the Savior and Lord of our life. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to have everyone bow their heads. I'm going to pray that prayer. And I'm going to keep my eyes open. But if you are going to make that choice to receive Christ this morning... I want you to look up and give me eye contact. I'll start like on the right, and then I'll go to the left, and then I'll go to the balcony, and if you give me eye contact, I will know that you've decided to choose Jesus. It'll be between you and me. I might say something like, thank you, or something like that, but nobody else in the room will know that. And then you and I can follow up afterwards, and then we can talk about what it means now that you have Jesus in your life. So if everyone can bow their head, close their eyes, I'm going to say a simple prayer. 
Lord, we come here this morning and we admit that we are sinners. We've all sinned. But we believe that you loved us and sent your son Christ to this world so that we could have hope, that we could be forgiven. We, re we receive that gift. We choose to receive that gift at this time. And so if anyone on the right would like to receive that gift now, if you could just give me eye contact. If anyone on the left would like to receive Christ at this time, give me eye contact. Thank you. And if anyone in the balcony would like to receive Christ at this time. Well, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we have a hope and promise in Christ. We celebrate the new birth that comes every time a person puts their hope and trust in you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you can do me a favor, uh, if you did give me eye contact, but I didn't see it, I need you to come and let me know so that I can give you a few things so that you can help, I can help you in your new life with Jesus.